0: One with the soul
1: What's up everybody welcome to another episode of the brutally speaking podcast the official podcast of metalnexus.net where you can get all your show reviews concert photos interviews and so much more and joining me as always is mr daniel terry how are you doing
2: i'm doing great man i'm a little bummed that i didn't get to do this one this was a lot of fun this was a okay uh,
1: the guest this episode is ken susie returning uh, from on earth which if you would have seen obviously clicking on this you already know who it is um, but that being said uh this is an interesting one how it panned out um i I bring it up in the interview itself but uh basically we dropped the ryan Ober from legia episode and i tag ken in it because we talk about ken working on the first two legia records and I guess uh, Ken ended up uh, checking out that episode and then leaving a comment on the episode when we posted it on Instagram and basically going like, this is a really cool chat. Let me know if you'd like to have me on to come talk about, you know, my production side and getting bands signed and so forth. Um, and I was like, absolutely. So slid into his DMs and kind of talked to him for a hot minute and. Uh, they were on that death to false Metalcore uh, tour with misery signals and, uh, darkest hour. And so he was like, I get home on this day, send me a text, let's do it. And this is the interview you're about to hear or conversation. Really. It wasn't really an interview. I didn't fucking write anything down. I just went, but it was interesting in in the, the arc that we basically were able to kind of tell. And I'm going to preface and just say like, there's something that's said in the very beginning of this interview. And I know we have beaten this thing to death. Um, here we go. But once again, this was a – and the whole reason I brought it up is it's a completely different aspect of it, and it's something I have reiterated time and time again whenever we bring up this band. It's always different. It's it's ever-changing, and as such, different aspects of, of them being back uh, keep adding new wrinkles to the story. Uh, and with Ken and Unearth basically doing direct support with uh, – with Esley dying, it is one of the first I would honestly say established legacy bands to go out with them. It's up until now; it's been a lot of up and coming bands. They don't have as much to lose per per se by taking those tours. But this is the first time, like I said, that you know you see a, a band with a lot of legacy and history deciding to go out with them. And I think that that speaks volumes about how far. We are coming with this, and I th- really want to say thanks to Ken for being brutally honest uh, with his reply.
2: Yeah, you guys covered a lot of ground there. Um, I'm not going to get into it because everybody already knows what I think about it. But uh, you know, I don't hate, obviously, don't hate Unearth because they went on a tour that would be good for them. Like that would be stupid. Like, like, completely stupid. Uh, but on on the same token, um, I thought that, you know, it was relieving that, like, just because we're doing the tour doesn't mean we're all in on one particular side of the fence or whatever. But the reality is, is that, you know, I mean, if if we're going to make all of our tour decisions based on, you know, like, the personal mistakes of every person we've ever met, like, there's tons of people out there right now that you think are okay are total pieces of garbage you just don't know it. it it just happened to be that you know you know it about tim and you know you saw about something that happened several years ago there's been so much coverage and so much publication on what various members of the music community think it's a divided issue it's going to always be a divided issue and uh I, I did like his, his honesty and just saying, look, yeah, you know, some of us weren't on board with it. Some of us were, we came to a decision and a story.
1: No, most assuredly. Um, so, I mean, I just want to preface and, and say like, it's there, but I felt that it was a genuine, honest response to the, to a, a really hard question. He could have given a canned answer or just avoided it as a whole. And he like, I think he always does. And like, I think the band always does just approached it head on and, were kind of unapologetic in in the response to it. Um, So I just want to take a moment and thank Ken for for doing that, first and foremost. Um, Definitely didn't have to. Uh, Beyond that, though, this was just fun. I mean, Ken is... (sighs) You know, I made this comment on a a different episode, but uh, you know, Ken might actually be like one of the most interesting men in metal. I mean, he works for a you know, a guitar gear company in Fishman Pickups and, you know, also has a band. He did recordings, like, you know, he's recorded the contortionist, which was someone you guys recently talked about on the discography discussion.
2: Oh, we talked about him two years ago. Yeah, we need to update that.
1: Yeah. And you know, has done stuff with Madball. Obviously, Legia has been more or less a, an AR type person, getting band signed uh, from his recordings and so forth. And in in addition to having a career uh, that's been you know twenty some odd years or so in the making, and it's just it's interesting. Um, and it's a side of Ken that I don't think gets discussed a whole lot. And I think that's kind of an unfair uh, position for him to be in. You know that he he is more than just the guitarist of Unearth.
2: Yeah, and I liked that he just put himself out there, and was like, "Hey, I got more to say about this. Can I do that?" You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I definitely liked all the inside information he gave on Legia. He was almost more informative of the band than the actual Legia episode was informative, <laughs> because you get both sides of the story. Um, I just found his insight to be cool. I, I like, really liked the part where he was like, I, "You know, you guys saying this is a party record, but I don't hear this party." So let's just bring the party here. And the interesting (laughs) thing is,
1: is it definitely that does come across on the record. So when he was saying that, I was like, but it does have a party vibe to it. I just didn't know that Ken was the response. I didn't know that Ken was responsible for that aspect of it actually coming through.
2: Yeah. And it was cool that he believed in the band enough. I, I think a lot of people would be like, look, you're going for this party vibe. You're not an alien. So let's go for a different vibe. Right but instead he he's like no i mean if this is if this is what you guys want let's let's figure out how we how we can make it happen
1: i wish i could find some of those people like can you imagine if you just somehow randomly got hit up to to go have a party at a studio and they're going to record it yeah <laughs> can you imagine how like awkward of a situation that would be like you're at a party you're drinking and it's like hey hey grab a mic and have that conversation real quick
2: yeah yeah that would be pretty interesting <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, but no Ken was uh, really great and I really enjoyed this one and uh, we're gonna kind of wrap up this intro because the episode is uh it's a longer one so without further ado this is uh, our conversation with Ken Susie of Unearth and we'll talk to you afterwards <music> So uh, I have the pleasure this early evening of talking with Ken Susie and of Unearth, uh, for those who aren't aware of what the hell he's been doing for the last 20 some odd years in the music industry. Uh, But interestingly enough, uh, we did an episode with Ryan Ober from Legia, where we talked about them recording their first two albums with Ken. I subsequently tagged Ken, uh, just so he could maybe hear a cool story from one of his friends. And uh, Ken like the conversation and was like yo let's do another chat more so about that side of my time in the music industry and, and helping bands and, and all of these kind of things so i said fuck it let's do it so here we are you are literally a day or so removed from coming back from tour with misery signals and was it uh darkest hour
0: yeah darkest hour yeah it was really funny um both uh us and darkest hour were like co-headlining like you know swapping every night but it was really cool because like I never I, I I never toured with Misery Signals ever in my career. So it was good to actually meet those guys for once. You always like you always see uh you always see t-shirts when you're touring and Misery Signals t-shirts are the ones that you'd always bump into and they're they're such a great band and such a uh, good group of guys. It was it was really great. The tour went off well. Europe was fantastic. We we did the UK as well and I don't know. I couldn't really ask for a better tour. It seems like there's like a little bit of a resurgence happening for our style of music over, overseas. So couldn't be happier.
1: I want to touch on one thing because I, I thought this was really interesting given the fact of, and if you don't answer it, that's fine. Um, so you it was just announced as you literally just come back from a European run. You're going out with Esley Dying uh, and Fit for a King. I believe is the other band. And what was interesting is, I saw interesting feedback from the internet as a whole where which granted is whatever it is. But what was interesting is a lot of people and something we had talked about in our chat previously was basically just kind of the legacy of unearth and how you, you know, a lot of bands maybe surpassed you as far as popularity or whatever, but always credited you as being a source of inspiration. And I I saw a couple of comments where people were just kind of like, it's so shitty that unearth would take this tour. And to me, I looked at it completely the opposite way of like, you know, Everyone talks about the legacy and and how much Unearth has done for the scene and what they mean to the scene, so it almost is kind of one of those things like, well, doesn't this kind of validate what a lot of other bands have kind of been going through in the last little bit since Ezra Dying decided to come back and start touring, that if you guys are able to kind of be like, you know what, fuck it, we're going to go do this tour, And, and you know we've been friends with these guys for a long time, and so on and so forth, that shouldn't that kind of start putting more people to not be so shitty about this thing and just kind of accept that the band is back and they're going to start touring, and if they don't like it, then just shut the fuck up and don't go.
0: Yeah, so so my, I, not to get into a huge Asley dying slash Tim Lambesis conversation, because I know that's that's what the, you know, the forums or the people or, or every label is going to, yeah, everyone's going to be hyper-focused on what I have to say about it. All I can say is that we knew, every, when, when Tim went to prison, it was a shock for all of us and we, we couldn't believe, after knowing him, you know, for so many years, it was tough to, like, wrap our heads around what actually went down and, what, and, and the fact that he did what he did. But, you know, with everything, with life, nothing ever happened. Uh, some of my guys, you know, nothing happened in the sense that no one was hurt, thankfully, but what he did was incredibly wrong. And a lot of my guys were conflicted about doing, you know, the run in general. But at the end of the day, me personally speaking, you know, on my, on my behalf, not my band, I could say that we've known Azalea Dying just as long as we've known just about anybody else. I mean, we knew them back when they were on Pluto Records. records. And funny enough, Tim gave us a demo tape outside of a VFW hall. We were touring maybe with uh, Indecision back in 2000 or 2001, and we became friends with them off of him handing us a demo tape and us just staying in touch over time because back then we weren't frequenting, frequenting, uh, frequenting the, uh, the, uh, the West Coast as much. So it was just good to know somebody back then, and they were always really good, genuine guys. And beyond that, uh, Jordan, Jordan Mancino played drums for us when Nick, almost for like a year, I think, or a year and a half when Nick blew his back out and had to get surgery. We've been super tight with those guys from doing Slipknot tours and headliners and co-headliners and all this stuff throughout the years, being label mates uh, and, and, you know, with Metal Blades, especially at that time and even now, uh, the bands had a lot of camaraderie, us, Black Dahlia Murder, a lot of bands, absolutely dying, that were just signed to that label at that time. There, it was a family atmosphere. So now that we're beyond... Also, too, I, I'm a rep for Fishman Pickups and the Fishman brand. and uh, I've supported Nick Hippa and Phil uh, Grosso the whole way. Uh, even, even when they were in Woven War or if they didn't have a band, I told them flat out that they're my friends. I want to support them regardless. They didn't do you know the horrible thing that has been inflicted onto their band and their, and their legacy. So I don't think we should hold them accountable, you know. So uh, Tim did something wrong. He spent a, he spent time in jail. In my opinion, he's done his time. What what he what he did was is unspeakable, and I don't condone it. And I don't I don't think at this point he does either. And like I said to him when he and I had a talk, I mean he's gonna walk this earth humbled at the fact that you know maybe people will give him a second chance. Or not, and uh, I, 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 think he's, you know, hopefully he's been, uh, he's a changed man, and uh, you know, I wish them the best. I, the thing is, this is that a lot of people may say that that's a, a bad thing, and no one, you know, no one ever deserves a second chance after that. But you know what, I'm not the one to make that decision. Neither is my band. We've known that band for a long time and supported that band minus Tim, and we're we're not going to change our position on that just based off of. We're not going to change our position on that because the guys in the band are are extraordinary people.
1: Absolutely, it was just one of those things. You are literally the first person I've had Ryan from Fit for a King, but you are the one solely now. The first person I've talked to where I've been able to kind of ask because, like I said, I I know I'm not going to be so braggadocious to think that you listen to this podcast, but it has kind of been a thing where I have been very much the same stance you have, and. Everybody it like hits me up and they're like, "Is this a fucking front? Or are you just doing this just to be the 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 other side of this and be an asshole?" And I go, "No, I legitimately feel exactly the way I say all these things." And as such, it was like I said, just interesting to me. Like it's one thing to be like in a fit for a king spot where you're an up and coming band. So like getting this opportunity maybe because nobody else wants it or or is willing to take it. That's one thing. But like I said, so many people honor and value what you guys have done in your career. It was just interesting to see so many people go, well, oh, I can't believe on earth would fucking do this." And it's like. Well, if they are and you value what they have done and you value their career as much as you do, then why don't you take that as the, the benchmark of being like, okay, then I guess I need to reevaluate how I feel and either squash the shit or and move on or just don't like flat out just be like anything. If you don't like something, just don't fucking look at it. Like we live in this world where people are just too quick to shit on something and then just continually shit on it when it's like, dude, you're wasting so much time and effort. All of that aside, though, that is not why you're here. Uh, speaking to the Fishman and all that kind of stuff, and like we were saying, though, you know, you produced the first uh, Two Legia records, and you know, have done a record with the Contortionist and with Madball, and that was something we didn't really hit on on the last time we had you on because it was more about the new Unearth record. So, you know, I guess what actually got you into producing, because it, you know, I understand. F- most band people nowadays have a home set up, and they record demos and shit, but around the time you would have been doing this, that wasn 't necessarily as feasible as it is now
0: it, it was a huge investment, and one thing that I can say the only reason why I got into uh, uh, audio recording and producing and engineering is wasn't because I wanted to make great records with other bands. Believe it or not, when Unearth first went to cut our we went to, we went into a Boston studio to cut our first uh, demo tape with a guy named Richard Durkey. I went, i believe it or not, I went to high school with the guy. He was a great, he was a friend, and he was an engineer, and uh, the thing I did not like about that process was that we had a time limit. It was like X amount of dollars a day, and we had X amount of hours in order to achieve our goal. Now, mind you, there's drums, there's guitars, there's vocals. Everyone needs their time, but we were just kids, and we're running, you know, trying trying to get, our demo tape to sound as best as possible in such a short amount of time. And believe it or not, when we signed to ULG records, we, ha- we went in with Adam D who was a friend at that point, uh, pre-Killswitch Engage. He was still an aftershock. We were, we were literally, I think we'd recorded that record for thirteen seventeen hundred $1,700 maximum. So we had a budget. I think it was within two days and we were, li- Adam says It ba- said it best. He said, I just remember a, bunch of little guys running in and out of the room screaming and you know, tracking their parts and literally sprinting from inside the control room to outside the control room to, to, to get their parts done. And that's what we had to do. Um, so the reason why I became an engineer was because I actually didn't like the fact that you know there was time constraints. I wanted to make any record. I wanted to be independent, and I wanted to be able to make any record I wanted to, whenever I wanted to, and I wanted to be able to track on Earth or or any of my side projects or anything that was in my head at any time. And believe it or not, the saddest part about it was I I, I had a, uh, a a side band, a joke band. It was called uh, the Sweatpant owners and uh, me and my old high school me and my old high school friend uh, Robbie Road Steamer, uh we we had this comedy album that we wrote as kids, even back in high school. And Adam D. heard some of it, and he thought it was hilarious. And his brother owned a label, Devil's Head, uh, Toby. Yeah, he Devil's Head. And he wanted to put that out. And believe it or not, we did that record with Adam, and it was kind of the same thing. We were running in and out of the room. But I actually watched Robbie and a few other people in the local scene, um, you know, get, I guess, shit on by producers uh, it's very easy for a guy trying to, you know, you guys spend all this money trying to track and trying to do this stuff. And then you have an engineer who's bored because it isn't the biggest band in Boston or something,
2: and they don't even know
0: what they have in their hands. And then next thing you know, you know, they're just doing a half-assed job either producing and or engineering. So I didn't want to be a casualty of that. I wanted to be able to make a record for myself where, where I can like I started meeting new, you know, bands and younger bands. And it, it actually inspired me to write, uh, to see these guys, you know, at that point when I was doing this, when I started to make records, it was like, it was in the 2002, 2003 time, like time period. And, uh, it was inspiring to work with young guys, uh, bands that are just on the up and up and, 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 and upcoming in the local scene, because I felt like they had that thing, that my band maybe I mean, we still had it. It was like, there's that fire in your eyes, you know, when you're trying to make a great record, but it humbles you to see guys just trying to make it for the first time. And I, and I liked being around that atmosphere. I I would rather be around that atmosphere than guys who have, you know, that have, that are bitter and jaded about the music industry. So I chose to uh, spend most of my time developing young bands and I've got a lot of them signed because of that.
1: I know it was funny in the interview I did with Ryan, he was talking about how initially you were doing that record and it was going to be for, I think he said prosthetic, and then it ended up turning into a thing where Ferret was interested in it, but they decided decided to keep that from you because they thought you were going to charge more, which I thought was funny because yeah. it's... <laughs> yeah,
0: not with prosthetic I would have because, here's the thing, I... I I wasn't, okay, so there's many forms of charity and I'm not calling, you know, my record with with Logia charity, but I didn't charge them much and I didn't charge any of the bands I recorded much because I believe that they're young and they deserve a shot of having a, my deal with them was pay me this and it would be like a low, it would be like a grand or something or two, you know, like whatever it was for X amount of songs. And I I said to them, like, I'll give you all the time in the world. Just don't abuse it. And, you know, if you want to spend that extra time on that guitar part or the drum part or whatever it is, so let's just get it done. Let's just get it right because I want you guys to leave here and feel really good about it. But I said, if you do a major label or a, you know, a budgeted record, I would appreciate it if you guys would let me, you know, you know, make, make some money off of it because those guys have money to make. And, it, and these things do take time. I'm not doing a favor for the label. I'm doing a favor for the young guys that are just trying to make, you know, make good music and get themselves out there. So do I, did I need the money? No, I was making money with Unearth. Did I need the money for the studio? Yeah, a little bit of maintenance. But for the most part, it was more of like, you know, paying back for all the great things that I've achieved. You know, in my career.
1: You know, something, and kind of touching on the Legia stuff, it's something we were texting about last night. You know, the thing I've had a couple people reach out and say to me is, you know, they they forgot about the band first and foremost, which I think kind of happens with bands that obviously don't exist anymore. But beyond that is, you know, a lot of people either really liked the first record or really liked Bad News. It seemed like no one really liked everything. Like, I feel like I'm in the minority with that in the fact that I, I loved everything that the band did because I feel like it's a it's a fuller picture of who they are and what they were almost able to do with the career they sort of had. but
0: Well, well I think Ryan articulated that really well. Uh, they went from one sound and completely changed to the next by the second record. And even I didn't understand it as a producer, but we'll, we'll get there when we, when we talk about the records in sequence.
1: Well, I was just going to say, you know, you the, the, the limited work you've done as far as a producer, it's it's really kind of all over the place. I mean, you yeah. look at a band like The Contortionist, they sound nothing like Legia. Legia on uh, Your Gift is a Ghost and Bad News sound nothing like each other. And then even, you know, you go to Madball and that's more traditional style New York hardcore. And it's like none of those... It's either like a really great compliment in the fact that you are so diverse musically, which you are. I mean, listen to anything either in Unearth or your side projects, you'll see that. But that being said, from a production standpoint, it just was really interesting to see the projects you picked and how so far away from one another they were. And it almost seemed like kind of one of those things which looking at it before talking to you today, it was almost like this just seems like you just liked cool music and wanted to be involved in creating fun albums and it really wasn't a business. It was just kind of like how Fishman is and a lot of other things you get involved in where it's just about having a good fucking time.
0: Well, I'm a very eclectic listener, and the one thing that I try to do is focus on the sounds and what the band's trying to convey onto tape. So when you talk about these bands, mind you, there's other, there's a whole long laundry list of other bands too. Like I got a band called Screams of Arita signed. They, they got picked up by, I think it was Prosthetic around that period of time. There was so many, I think, I think what you said on the, the last podcast was so true. There were so many bands being signed, and labels couldn't like labels couldn't keep up with the demand. Everybody was looking for a new band, and labels were throwing deals at everybody at that point. So I there was, I, I even got a band signed to Victory uh, from Canada. They just came to record with me. They were called the Rise and Ruin, and the bass player to this day is still one of my closest friends. And believe it or not. Th- th- Victory threw them a ton of money to do a record with me uh, after I did their demos. And, then, and that's just, a, you know, that's just, let's go without saying. But sometimes you just hear a band, and in my case, I, I listen to a lot of different types of music, so I knew sometimes I, I, would, I would defer records onto other people, thinking that they could do a better job with them. And, but in most cases, I would say I know exactly what these guys are trying to do or what or maybe these guys don't even know what to do and I think I I think I know what they should sound like in order to get some type of uh not commercial success but but success in general or or achieve a goal for them. So with Legia, Scott Lee brought that project to me because he was managing them and Scott's been a friend I mean since I was 17. Uh, he he's a great person, and, and, and he said, can you do me a favor? Can you do this record? And I was like, well, let me listen to it first. Sure enough, Unearth got off with doing tour. We toured a lot of our early years with the band uh, Poison the Well. So the second I heard, and, and, and there was bands doing the singing, screaming thing or whatever, but, but the thing about Legia that, that, that caught my eye immediately was the songs were simple, which I could, which I could, I appreciated because I was a, a huge fan of the Deftones when I was when I was younger, and now luckily I'm working with them, with uh, with Fishman, but uh, but yeah, I, I Keith was such a rare singer. He was such a uh, he was a star, uh, as far as I'm concerned. I I thought he was so technically proficient in his vocals, and his lyrics were cool. He he could sing and scream on a whim, but he he had both of them, and it's very rare that both guys have like uh, any one person can do that one those both things at the same time. Like Howard Jones is another guy who's really great at singing and streaming, and and he, he's one of those. He's just he's just proficient. He's amazing. Uh, Keith was one of those guys too. And 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 the second I heard his voice, and then actually saw him do it live, all the music just kind of. Everything gelled together the second the vocals went on top of the music. The, the the I think getting the demos ahead of time and hearing what they were and reshaping the songs with the guys and and changing them as we went helped a significant amount because we got to cut down parts and and add parts and and add noises and sounds and this and that and the other thing. And and I'm and I'm only I'm reflecting on both records, but the first record was much easier to make with those guys than the second. But Keith was on his game. I, I really wanted that band to, to to have that thing, that poison the well thing. And I used I, I there was a reason why I used sample drums mixed with real drums, small room sounds, small drum sounds, big guitars, vocals that were just screaming over the you know, the music in general because it was special and I, I wanted them to be the next the next Poison the Well, and I, I think we did a really good job with that record, even though my mixing skills are not weren't fantastic back then. I think there was a lot of bad-sounding records at that time, and I don't think I, I did too poor of a job, but I think we captured magic uh, for that first record, for sure.
1: No, I would I would definitely agree with that, and I think you know what's kind of interesting, too, and even with talking with, like, Ebbets and, and Michael Beinhorn and a couple other producers on this podcast is kind of talking around that same time, though, you're, you're kind of getting... That's like the kind of sweet spot of the transition in in tone and guitar and and recording and stuff like that of of what this new scene was kind of becoming at that point. So it's like some of the earlier stuff was kind of raw and loose, where then you were kind of maybe getting and and again correct me if I'm wrong. I'm talking solely as as someone who listens to any of this music and has been for a long time, but I feel like it was you know pe- people like yourself and like Adam D and people who were kind of. The player's player and looking for that perfect tone and just, you know, how do we make a really great sounding record? And I feel like, you know, speaking to Devil's Ed, it's like, you know, you had bands like Aftershock and you had bands, you know, like Overcast was kind of doing some of this shit. And it's like, I think there were so many of you kind of pushing each other to create this sound And the recording technology of it all was kind of changing too as to how do we capture the sound and get the tones as as well as we can since we don't have a lot of money and maybe the technology isn't quite there. Because I think that's sort of around the same time as like Pro Tools kind of being more, or Fruity Loose if you're using that kind of shit or whatever, more readily accessible to a lot of people to start using. But it's still digital and it wasn't as fast as it is now.
0: Yeah, like the the first few records that we made with Adam uh, were on tape. They're on ADAT, and I believe the Oncoming Storm was one of the first couple records that Adam did with Pro Tools. So uh, so you put Legia back in that spot where it's like, I went 2003, 2004, 2005? No, no, later, 2005, 2006 maybe. Um, yeah, I was using Pro Tools by then, but it's about getting the right sounds going into Pro Tools, and um, I can say that that band... I mean, they, in my opinion, they were a good mix between the Deftones and Poison the Well, and it was it was my job, and that's at least that's what I thought, and and I thought it was my job to do them the best service by pushing them in that direction sonically, uh, as possible to get them to a point where people started to believe in those. You know, everyone liked Poison the Well back then, and everyone liked the Deftones, so you couldn't go, you could not go wrong with pushing them in that direction and I, and I kind of did, but you know, I think the band was happy. they never once said like, no, I don't like this guitar tone or, Oh no, I don't like what you're making me do with the vocal or this or that. And I, I just think they were, they were, they were very spongy, which that's another reason why I like these bands because sometimes they get a little lost and then you say, Oh no, no, no. I've been there and done that before that. You know, that's why I'm here as a producer. Let me steer you in the right direction. I think we can get, something cool from here and uh, and Ryan was very uh, Ryan wrote a lot of the material so I think he he and I had a really good working relationship he was young so I I just kind of like helped him mold what he was trying to do
1: you know something we had talked about on that episode was just kind of the the bad business acumen (laughs) of Legia from a brand and I guess a band perspective You know, with the promise of that first record and what it did, you know, I mean, it didn't like set the world on fire. It didn't like debut in the top 10 on Billboard or anything like that. But I do remember there being in the underground scene at that point, like they were a band that everyone was kind of starting to take notice of. They were kind getting on pretty good orders and so forth. And it just kind of made me wonder from your perspective of having worked on the record and kind of probably having this like proud papa feeling of like, all right, like this thing I had a hand in and kind of helping shape is, is starting to take off. Did you – because I don't know if they, like, kind of completely fucked things up, like, kind of straight out the gate as much as Ryan kind of made it sound. But I do know around the bad news time, the next record, that, you know, things kind of went south just due to them doing things on their own and and pissing away opportunities. As such, at least, then, if they were – go ahead.
0: No, 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 go on. Finish, finish. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I was just
1: going to say, if they were doing that around that time, does that kind of, like – does it just kind of, like, Bum you out or piss you off because you're uh like, ah, like it, I want to say something, but should I? I don't know like is it just kind of disheartening to see that from a from a producer and as a friend you know perspective
0: yeah well well that, that's a good point it, it, it's It's funny looking at it as a producer and being uh being in the middle of it and also be being removed from it with unearth we we all had a heavy drinking problem we all drank a lot. So we could see how substance can change bands. And none of us really dipped into heavy drugs. None of us were doing anything crazy. So it was mainly alcohol abuse. So we had, we were on our own trip, and every band has their own trip. Some guys do coke, some guys do pills, some guys smoke a lot of weed. I don't know what it is. But the one thing about Legia is, is that the the band that I worked with on the first record was very different than the band I worked with on the second record. and I was re- I was very proud of the first record, and I would go to a lot of their shows and kind of fold my arms in the background and you know nod my head when the show was going well because I felt really proud of what they were achieving and and there was a there was a bit of hype around them but I, it was I think it was a solid like two years or so when it was time to make another record and they came back to me and they said you know would you make another record and I said yeah for sure and I agreed to do the record before I heard any material. Um, one thing that did happen was I got the demos and I didn't understand them. That, that was the one thing. And I think the band knew this. I I think I, I, I was very, I articulated that with them, but I said, I don't understand what you're trying to do. And they were saying, well, this is going to be like a ratty kind of rock record that you know that was in your face and it was dangerous and it had to sound like a party that was it was very opposite of what they were trying to achieve on the last record so i was a little bit confused by that but i but i still believed in them as as musicians and, and, and I was going to help facilitate that because we had success before and I, I believed in myself in order to get, steer the record in, in a right direction
2: but after hearing the
0: first initial demos I was really disappointed with bad news. I didn't know what they were trying to do at all and, and the songs didn't really make sense the lyrics were, were, were kind of hokey and what ended up happening was the, and, the, and mind you these are just the demos but they the, the band released some type of demo that they made in, I don't know if it was in a local studio or basement, but it was,
1: it wasn't great
0: and it was on MySpace. And, uh, Carl, Carl Stevenson's from Ferret was, it still is. He's my manager now, but we, have always been really tight, uh, friends. And he called me up and he was actually saying to me, like, I, I don't think I could put out this record. They just destroyed themselves. It was, it was one of those kind of conversations and I remember having to talk Carl off the ledge and say, Carl, listen, these, yeah, I get it. These demos are shot, whatever. Just let me work on this. Let, trust me, I will get something out of them that you'll be happy with. And it was actually kind of a, a, a long conversation. And Carl, at the end of the day, was like, I trust you. Okay. You know, and it was like one of those I you know don't don't f me over here and um we we got to a point where we recorded a lot of the material and I started really digging into the material with Ryan. I think the band was we you know we laid down the drums to a lot of these songs and i and and my approach was this is a single band, this is a band that's like everything's gonna rely on the lyrics because you have certain types of guitar riffs, I can always cut and change them later, because we were recording to a grid on that record, so I was like, okay, well, you know, we could change things as we go, or re-record things as we go,
2: and I'm going to rely
0: on the vocals the most, so we changed a lot of the guitar parts and a lot of the structures, and I remember we got them real, real tight, then uh, Keith came into the studio, and he started laying down some vocals, and I didn't understand it, and I didn't understand it, and we still were, you know, I was trying to make him make moves lyrically that weren't so obvious. I, I, I think you can tell by uh, the record bad news that there's a lot of obvious, and I'm you know quoting, quote-unquote, quote obvious kind of lyrics. They're very straightforward and kind of like they're, they're very – in your face, and, and he, there's this, there, always, there always should be some type of mystery in vocals, like where people can interpret the, interpret it for themselves. But with him, he was coming out all guns blazing and talking about this crazy party that they're having, or or these or these real deep uh, drug addiction kind of uh, you know relationship kind of topics. Um, I remember, I remember piecing together the record. and I remember everything we 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 finished it. And I remember saying to them, we were sitting at my console, and I said, you guys keep saying, and, and, and it kept coming. It was a recurring theme. This has to have a party vibe. This has to sound fun. And literally, I I was like, I don't hear a party in this record. I said, the record's pretty good. I think we got to a pretty good place, but I don't hear this party that you guys keep referencing. So I think we had two, three, four hundred $400 left in the budget. So I told the guys here's the deal i said we're going to grab some microphones we're going to spread them out all over the studio now mind you this is a home studio so we're going to spread them out all over the studio we're gonna spread them on the console we're going to spread them all over the all over the place and when, and and i said bring as many girls i mean these guys are girl crazy just like any guy in their 20s right i'm like don't bring dudes. don't bring dudes we'll rock, we'll play some music we'll we'll get a keg we'll get some liquor We'll just get everybody drunk. We'll just rage. Like, we'll just party at my house, party at the studio. It'll be sick, and I'll just record the party. So I, and, and so as these people came to my house, who I've never met before, as a bunch of Western mass chicks, <laughs> I, would, I would say girls with, like, a lot of lower back t- tribal tattoos and stuff sitting on my lap on the console. Um, and they were. I just said to everybody, guys, we're going to party. But do me a favor, any kind of conversations you guys are having, anything you want to say to the boys, just spit it out in the microphone. All the microphones are live. Say whatever it is that you want. And we also have, like, you know, a fire pit going on the back in the backyard. So, you know, if people didn't want to be in the studio, they could drink outside and, you know, circulate. Um, I remember sitting there with the guys, and there was a, a – You know, there was a couple seconds where some girls were, like, saying, like, hell yeah, in the microphone and just being funny. And we were listening to it, and we were just looking at each other with that. I remember turning around to Ryan and being like, dude, this is sick. Like, what we are capturing here is so sick for the record. And the guys were kind of, like, nodding their heads. Like, I don't think they understood me, but I think we all kind of understood. And then the next day, I spliced like three hours of party tape, <laughs> Pro Tools party tape, if I can call it that, uh, into the record, and it made the record kill, I think it made the record, it, it tied the record in like really well. It was a legit party vibe at that point. Um, you know, there's a breakdown that they have, and was those girls that say hey, like, hell yeah, at that point. Uh, and Keith would say these like, ladies, ladies, don't be shy, you know, he would say these lyrics, and I would have these girls like, at that party, Cuts and splice like things that they would say in the middle of the songs and i thought it made total sense at that time and and we had a, we had fun with it
1: what was the reaction from carl and the label when you turned in bad news they liked it yeah at that point they were
0: like these are i remember carl being like this is completely different from that demo i heard that's that's what that's all he kept pushing for he's like I, I i didn't know what to think but I think he, I think Carl believed in me enough, and then when I delivered the final product, he was very pleased, and I think the, the band was pleased. Um, I think going back to your first question about substance and and the guys making bad business decisions, yeah, that's that's another part of the conversation. But what I can tell you is is that their substance was pills. I don't know how much was going on. I don't know who was doing what, but I but. It was the first time in, in my life musically... Well, no, 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 sorry. Let me take that back. It was the first time that I saw someone with such great talent like Keith uh, ha- see his, his his talent be diminished by pills. It actually kept me from ever trying them uh, or doing pills because I watched what Keith went through, and there was a time after that record, he was trying to do another record... I don't even think it was Legia. Maybe it was. I I can't even remember. But I remember his skills and his his voice was was much, much different. And his vibe, uh, his personality was a lot different. I'm not saying he's a bad person, and I'm not a saint either myself. But uh, what he did to himself at that time was, was, in my opinion, uh, it was disappointing because I was such a fan of 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 his talents and his creativity. Um I'm talking about him like he's dead, he's not you know, he's he's still alive with us and thank God for that. But Ryan was he touched upon it and uh I'll say it. I, I was I I, I always wish those guys the best. I wish anybody the best that I work with or anybody I come in contact with. And I was really disappointed that uh that kind of substance got a hold of them and it taught me a little bit about that. I mean that Plus, seeing like guys like you know Randy Blythe, you know, deal with his demons in the early days and stuff. So it's you know there's a lot of that that goes around in the industry, and I and 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 I was I was disappointed that it became a it became a crutch for those guys.
1: Last thing I'll kind of touch on on Legia before we move on. Do you think, in spite of the lyrics to uh, some of the stuff that they touch on on bad news? Do you think if the band were to come back now, do you think they would have a be able to have a successful career, or do you think the time for a band like that is has come and gone?
0: I don't know because I'm a terrible I'm a terrible judge a judge at that kind of uh, speculate. I think a band like Poison the Well. If they came back, I mean they had such a they had such great success that I think they would. I think a lot of people would be really excited to see them. In the case of Legia, I feel like they might have not have reached that high of a plateau, like a Poison the Well, where they were doing a lot of headlining gigs in front of you know a lot of people, to where to where they could come back and make a mark. Do the guys in the band have individual talent to write a great record? Even now, yes, totally. Do I believe that the record that we all made together, the first two records that we made together, are, are great and could sustain themselves? I believe so. I, I, I always thought they were great. Um, I don't know. I don't know what you know. Joe Schmo from whatever city that used to like Legia, if he would like, you know, spend his hard-earned money or stop watching his kids you know, for a night to go see the band. I'm not sure. You And then when I say that about, gee, I'm saying that about anybody. A lot of these fans are now, I mean, we're, we're what, 15 years removed from that? People live different lives, and um, I'm not sure if they would come out. Do I believe, you know, I'd have, to, I'd have to see the guys, I'd have to hear the band, I'd have to see what's going on with the dudes, but do I believe in them? Yeah, I, I believe in all my friends, and I believe in all the people I've worked with, or toured with. I, I really do believe that everyone is special, and those guys are special, for sure.
1: Moving on from that, you know, you, you at this point in your recording career, you know, you've kind of worked with, like you were saying, you worked with uh, various labels, have ties between your own band and, and the touring you've done, with other labels and so forth. Were you getting tapped quite a bit to start working with a lot of bands, or... You know, because something you had kind of touched on before was talking about how you know you were responsible for doing some demos or whatever and getting some bands signed. So it kind of made me wonder if you've ever kind of maybe had a label not approach you necessarily to do a record uh, from a production or engineering standpoint, but to do A&R work.
0: No, never. Uh, No one ever hit me up for that kind of work. If anything, I was too hyper-focused on my own band. And as far as the recordings went, I didn't really pursue them. I didn't really want to be an engineer, per se. I just kind of wanted to make great records with great bands. And I think I got myself into a position where I would make all these great records with these like young, young bands. And it's just like being a manager in the music business. Someone always can do something better for you. Every label at that time had their guy. So some guys record with Adam D. Some guys record with Zeus. Some guys record, you know, all these big names, Steve Evans and Machine. And so I was the type of guy that I would get all these records, and I would get their first record, and by the time they were onto their second record, like the Contortionists, they were already onto different guys, different, you know, which 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 I totally think you know that was the right decision for their band. Um, I did help a band like Contortionist rearranged their music. I mean, their singer, their original singer got arrested uh, when he was, you know, before he was supposed to fly to Boston. I think I recorded a whole record with the guy, you know, with with some guy singing and then he got arrested and couldn't tour or this or that and then they had to get another singer and it was like this whole thing. But I, I worked my ass off on the Contortionist record to make, and, 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 you know, I saw them in an interview after the fact, after we made that record and they, they kind of were saying that, you know, they were the ones that, you know, really shaped their sound and this and that and they, they, they came to the table with a lot of great stuff. But I helped them from afar, you know, write and rewrite stuff, and and that record, that one record that we did together, I mean, it is all them for sure. But I made that record. I steered that uh, record into a heavy direction. If you if you notice all their pa- their releases since then, they've been you know very very prog, which is fine. But I definitely, you know, was was over their shoulder helping them. Make the riffs a little hit harder, and uh, make certain parts uh, breathe more. Those guys were very smart musicians, and they're and they're very good. Um, I'm not taking any credit for you know the success of that record in the sense that like writing wise, but one thing I was nailing, you know, the one thing that I take pride in is that I made their heavier or heaviest record to date. Uh, for them per se, and I and I take pride in that because they're a different type of band now. Maybe, maybe that's not what they were going for, uh, but I still think that's a killer record.
1: Adversely, when you work with somebody, and I'm really trying to remember the year that that Madball record came out that you did. But... I think it was like 2000,
0: 2000, 2011. I think. Okay, I was okay.
1: I, I kept coming up with like nine or ten, so I'm glad I wasn't too far removed from that. But I mean, you're working with a band that has been. I mean, fuck it. Let's just call it what it is. They're a legacy band in that scene is it intimidating to work with a band that kind of has a very set sound and a very, you know, rich legacy and, and hope that, you know, you're able to add to it and and not put out the record where people are like, man, what the fuck was this?
0: Um, to speak to that, I I could say mad ball. Okay. So this all stemmed from Mike Jessen was in my, was in on earth for a few years. Um, Mike, the, you know left the ba- uh, you know mike and unearth well we split unearth and you know we had to split because the relationship that we had with mike at that time was very toxic but mike and i did this really great uh drum thing for minel i uh, we we recorded some uh just a track where it was just all it was just all percussion and i remember saying to him like let's do this really organic kind of thing and You know, and we recorded these great tones for this one minor sample pack, CD, whatever it was. And he remembered that. And Mike and I had, you know, we had our differences when he was in the band, but we still remained friends. We all remained friends with Mike. He's he's such a great guy.
2: And I was
0: really shocked because he called me one day and he's like, hey, man, would you do a Madball record? And I was like, Mike, I was like, are you kidding me? I'm like, I said to him, I could shut my eyes and envision exactly what I would do with you guys. I, I said, I've listened to Mad Ball for so long that I knew exactly how to approach that record. I, 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 was, I was like, I would, I would do it in a heartbeat, uh, if you have me, kind of thing. And Mike was like, definitely. He's like, I really like the, the, the drum thing that we did together, and I think that you'd be good for this particular record. So I, I definitely listened to a couple of Mad Ball records you know, of old, and where they led up to, to that point. And I felt like, you know, the Madball of old had a lot of raw, raw, raw energy. And, uh, the mixes were, were, were definitely, uh, you know, set it off with such a great monumental record. And the mixes were like real good. I think there were, that was on, I'm not sure what label was on, but it was on a big one. I'm sure it was like Roadrunner or something. Um, but then, you know, their, their, their records up to, to, to the point where, uh, uh, I made their record, I was like, oh man, I wish the, the guitar, I was saying to myself, like, oh, I just wish the guitar tone sounded like this or I wish the drum sound sounded like that and I finally, I, I actually told Mike, I'm like, I, I, I finally got, I'm getting my chance to do what I want to do with them and those guys came in, uh, now mind you, it's not intimidating to work with, it would be intimidating to work with a band like that if I didn't know them very much but Unearth spent, Unearthed spent so much time in Europe I mean, countless nights hanging out with those guys, drinking. You know, they're so close to us as friends and as brothers that we – was, It was it, it's almost like the same band. It's literally like being around my guys, being around them. They're just so nice and so respectful and such great, great people that there was no uh, – we didn't have to get acclimated to one another. It was just immediately – you know Hoya came in, busted my balls, Mitzi came in, busted my balls, You know, and I was busting their balls, and we were automa it was just like a, it was just like, hey, this is like the last time I saw them so I knew that one thing I wanted to to not do to them is pr- make them over process sounding. I didn't want that like the drums to be too compressed, and I didn't want the guitars to be too slick I didn't want like I didn't want those. I didn't want to take away from them because at that period of time, every record sounded like a 5150 and a, a, you know, a specific type of drum sample on the kit. And there was, there was a lot of that going on. And, and Zeus was uh, slated to mix that record. And Zeus and I are really close too. he's a local guy. So everything was in line to make a perfect record. So I remember, you know, getting the opportunity to sit with those guys and they had such great material for that record and we just we tracked it and we tracked it i made sure the performances were there i didn't try to add anything to what they were doing i just tried to enhance what they were doing and those guys were like they're like the military in the studio it's like guitars you know mitts mitts just doesn't stop until he's got all the takes and, and it's done hoya plays bass perfectly and you know he he doesn't finish until he's done Mike Justin is you know his hands are bleeding you know but he gets the drum take so um I didn't have to like certain bands you have to push I didn't have to push them I just had to make sure that the record was getting down to tape correctly so and the only time I ever really I think the only time I ever really pushed them on anything any type of new technology or anything was that Mitzi plays these like big old Rickenbacker guitars, or no, sorry, D.C. Rich guitars. And I remember saying to him, I'm like, ah, oh, your guitar sounds really good, but I just got this guitar, and and it has an EverTune bridge, and you know, and you don't do much bending and stuff, and I, and, you know, and I'm like, let me set up this guitar the way, and and it, actually, I play with a lot like lighter gauge of string. Uh, Mitzi plays with probably, like, you know, uh, piano wire, for Christ's sake. He's such a big guy. He, he probably plays with, like, 12s or, or 12s or 13s or something high. I was using 10s, and I remember him picking on my guitar with an Evertune, and it had, like, a lighter gauge, but his picking sounds so ferocious on the guitar that I was like, Mitzi, like, I made him play the same riff on, you know, two different guitars, and I made him listen back to it. And I'm like, well, which one do you like better? You know, and he's like, all right you know take two and i'm like all right well that's my guitar can we use that please and he's like yeah it sounds good and that was the only time there was ever really any type of like you know compromise and during that record um i kind of knew exactly what kind of sounds what kind of amps what kind of vibe we went and everything that's on that record is like organic there's real drums in there there's real guitar performances um zeus you know did his magic with with i remember he came back to me and he said the drums were already there the you know, the guitars were already there, so everything was really easy with that record, and I wish I could make another record with them again, because I thought we made some, some pretty damn good magic on uh Hardcore Liz is one of my, you know, it's in my top three uh, Madball records of all time. You know,
1: Speaking to some of that, you know, kind of applying what you've done from a production standpoint to your own work, because some people, like, I feel like, you know, the one instance I can kind of think of, and, and a name we've mentioned a couple of times is Adam D. There's been one instance in Killswitch's career where... They went with a different producer. Um, and everyone talked about in the band in interviews and so forth, talked about how weird it was and it just wasn't really a kill switch record because of this new element that wasn't really the tired and true thing that makes a kill switch record what it is, which is basically Adam more or less doing everything. As such, when you in as Ken going to do Unearth stuff, when you go to record with different producers and so forth, is it hard sometimes for you to do some of these records like are you wanting to be more hands on in the production aspect of what you're recording or are you able to separate entirely and just be like I'm I'm here as a guitar player in this band recording this record I'm going to let who we've entrusted to do the mixing and mastering and everything do their job yeah
0: I can remove myself easily from that because I don't claim to be the best producer or the guy that knows everything uh like, working with Will Putney, I wanted to get a Will Putney mix. I wanted Will Putney sounds. With Adam, I wanted Adam sounds. With Mark Lewis, I wanted Mark Lewis' sounds. I I, I didn't want to... I don't want... A producer's a producer for a reason. And if I was producing a record for Unearth or something, or another band or whatever, and I wasn't in the band, sometimes... Okay, let me, let me say it like this. Sometimes when you are separated from the band that you are in or the project that you are working on... You get better results by with somebody else being on the outside coming in because they can see past the fog, whereas you're in the band and you're in the moment and you're uh, you're kind of connected to these things because you wrote them. I have no problem with throwing my hands up and, and talking to somebody like an Adam and saying, "Hey, Adam or Will Putney or, or Mark Lewis, uh, you know, I wrote this. What do you think?" And they say, "Ah, oh, it's not good." Or that sounds not what you think it is, and I take their perspective because you know what they're not married to, they're not married to to what I'm married to, and it's good to get like a breath of fresh air. This past unearth record, I didn't even I didn't even really like. I, I went to like, I I I went to DL's house uh, from the acacia strain, and he and I are really oh you know acacia strain. He and I are really good friends. I actually just needed a place to go that was other other than my own studio to go write. I was like, DL, would you like? hanging out with me, and, like, I mean, we're friends anyway, but I'm like, would you like to, you know, listen to some of my riffs, and just, I need to be in a different environment than my own house, you know, and DL was like, yeah, so next thing you know, he, Buzz, and myself were, like, you know, tracking some demos there, and it was just good to get out of my environment, you know, so with Adam, um, Adam's the only guy I know that can kind of, and Will Putney, for sure, he they can remove themselves, uh, they, sorry, they can Right, they can start a record and they can finish a record on their own because they're just that good, you, you know. Um, Adam, I'll go ahead and say, you know, Adam's, in my opinion, the Paul McCartney of 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 our generation of metal. He, the guy, writes and records, and he's a musical virtuoso. I like. I've never met anybody as smart uh with music as him or production or anything i think adam is uh is the top he's 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 flawless he's just so great he he knows how to make magic so um there's a lot of times where and he and i are just good friends i i, I would trust him like i would trust a brother so when he says something i listen and, uh, and i don't have a hard time you know taking guidance from a a fellow friend and and also a, a musician that i respect
1: who i mean you just mentioned kind of like the murder row basically of <laughs> between Zeus, Adam D, Will Putney, and <laughs> and DL, Mark Lewis. And pretty much, a, and Mark, and, yeah, and and Mark Lewis, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I would, and I would say, you know, it's safe to say for for a slightly different take on on that, you know, you can even include uh, oh, God. Why Andy are you recognizing totally like an Well, Andy, yes, Andy Steve. not the big guy. I was thinking of uh,
0: Colin, Colin Richardson's yeah. really good, Machines really good. Yeah, there's a Jason lot of Zukoff. good dudes that's, out
1: there. That's the other one I'm thinking of, Jason Suhkov. Um, yeah ducom's
0: good too,
1: yeah, um, but basically, you know, like you've kind of mentioned really the people who have kind of and Joey Sturgis too I guess you can't not say his name, um you know that's basically you know the last shit twenty five years worth of like current metal producers like and you just you could almost name them you can' name them on like less than two hands, and it's interesting, you know to me that in my opinion, on some of the stuff you've done, I think. You, you, If you went down that road, I feel like you might be actually in that, that same breadth of all those other people because I feel like while your your career in the production aspect has been kind of limited, I still think, like I was saying earlier, like you've done such a wealth of far-reaching genres that I think it showcases that I think you could have done really interesting things with a lot of different bands. So with that kind of being said, what's a band either currents or whatever that you would really love to work with in a production sense since you kind of already said you don't really do it for the money or anything like that you do it because you want to make a good record so who is someone you would like to work with
0: well I'm glad you I'm actually glad you you, you asked that question but but to, to, just to first say thank you for uh, you know giving me, uh, you know, putting me in the same breath as, as those guys. But I don't see myself as uh, as good as a producer as any of those guys. I, But I, I do have chops, and I do what I do. Uh, I do appreciate that. But I have always said that the one band out of any band that there is that I would love to produce is Zayo. Zayo is one of my all-time – they're just the band that if I were to produce a band – i would i would know exactly how to do their records i have listened to that like that's one of my favorite bands from that time period and they are still making music and they're all great guys scott is one of my i actually have scott's uh 5150 amp that he recorded all those iconic in my opinion iconic records their records on he sold it to me a bunch of years ago i remember saying to him like hey man if you get rid of this amp I, you make sure you call me first, because not only will I keep it forever, but if you need it, I will ship it to you so you can use it, you know, on a record or this or that. So um, Zayo is that one band that I I, I wish um, I could record. They're the band in my sleep that I, I think I could nail. I could, I could totally nail their their whole vibe.
1: Interestingly enough, my we had Scott on the podcast. My co-host is a, a rather huge uh, Zao fan. And as such, that's how we got Scott and him and Scott were talking about various things. So uh, I already just sent my co-host a a text uh, and was like, so we need to facilitate this and make this happen. So uh, hopefully (laughs) if nothing nothing else comes of this, you know, like Jamie Jost always has those pitches on every podcast. Uh, yeah. if that's the, if that's the one thing we can put into the universe and try to make happen, then, you know, I would like to see that happen because, uh, you know, so far, like you've said, you've worked with bands that you are passionate about and that you, you love. And, you know, in the case of the Madball record, it was a band that you were so familiar with a new inside and out, and you were able to bring out a, a record as a fan, but also as a peer and as a, um, uh, I don't even know the word I'm looking for right now, basically as a peer and as a fan. And it's so it, it basically got us the best of both worlds. It brought the old heart, the old mad ball sound that we have all come to know and love, but also kind of put it into newer production and brought it to, to the, you know, this time period now. And I think it, you know, is the best of both worlds. And I think, it would be really interesting to see what you would do with someone like Zayo because I think you could do the same thing where you would be able to appease old fans but also the fans that are of, that like what they're currently doing and I think you'd be able to marry that very well. And since they seem to be doing just a shitload of EPs anyway, what the fuck do they got to lose? Like You just fucking work on two to three songs, put out a fucking limited edition vinyl and everyone will be happy. As I said to Scott years ago, they if they
0: just show up, I'm not even talking. There doesn't even have to be a dollar amount attached. If they just show up, I will do it. I don't gi- I don't give a shit. That band, like as I said before, it's not even just the sounds. It's even the the, the taste in riffs. Uh, Scott and I, I, I really like what he does, and I think I would I would know exactly where they should go. In songs, and if they were stumped or what, like just just that kind of thing, I just know I would I would know how to assist that band. Um, but yeah, I they they don't have to pay me a dollar. I would do an EP, a record, whatever it is. They're one of my all time favorite bands, and even Buzz Buzz and I just recently were playing somewhere. I don't even know where it was, and we we put on Zayo, and we were just like. I remember, I think, I think my bass player because he he doesn't really listen to Zayo or wasn't around that time period. You know, I, I think he was like, "What is this?" And Buzz and I was like, "Shut the fuck up! It's the happiest band in the world." You know, like, like you know, like where we 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 geek out over those guys. And there's a lot of influence, you know, in our our own material from them because you know we played shows with them at an early age and. I would I would die to do a record with those guys for sure.
1: So with that being said, uh, obviously we you know we kind of touched on the uh, what you have coming up for I think it's just a summer tour the European tour right? Uh, yeah,
0: we're doing some festivals in the summer. And we're doing uh, that a dying run, which is obviously, as you said, people are conflicted as to why we would do it. Uh, <laughs> even my own band's a little con- it, just just to put it out there. Even my own band's very conflicted on on doing it too. But we're we 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 know what we're doing. It'll be fine. We're still on Earth. We're we're still the same guys. We're we're yeah. We are who we are. We're just gonna play music and, and put on a great show. That's all we're worried about.
1: And. uh You know, I'm going to prose you this. This is my last question, and it's just a bullshit fun one, just because uh, I was talking with uh, Matt Fozzie, the uh, ex-guitar player from Taking Back Sunday the other day, and at the end of it, he asked me, because when I asked what the band's going to be doing from here on out, and this can apply for Swivel, it can apply to hopefully another USA, USA, USA record, uh, or Unearth or whatever, but just in general. He asked if uh, I felt that the, what the climate is as far as what's the demand, EPs or full lengths? So with that being said, do you feel that maybe EPs are the way to start going, or are you more of a traditional? Let's always do an LP.
0: Here's here's the thing. I actually was just talking about this with my this very topic with my band. We haven't put an EP out since 2002. We put out the endless EP before the oncoming storm. I said in 2006 to Brian Slagle from Metal Blade, I said that we're with technology, with the advances in technology, at the time, I think it was Napster or whatever. I, I can't even remember. YouTube was just starting to, like, blow up. I think I said to him that we're starting to enter a period where singles make sense, not not full records. You know, not the 14, 15-song record, you know, that you remember. And... Uh, you know, I made I made the statement that we're all going towards singles. Not even not even just EPs. But if you were to ask me what I think is as a musician, let, let me let me answer this on both sides. As a musician, you want to get the full length. You like if you're really into a band. I want to hear ten, twelve songs from a band and just engulf myself in it and really feel every single track. That's the musician side of me. When it comes to just basic average listeners, I think an EP is a great uh, solution because they get the one or two songs. They get the B sides, the two other B sides, or whatever it is. And say you have, say you have a record written. Let's say you have eight or nine songs written. If you put on an EP on in you know September, that's four songs, and everyone really likes it. You can follow it up with the same quote-unquote recording and time period you know, six months later and you get a whole fresh perspective on four or five more songs. So I think if you're, uh, yeah, if you're kind of like, if you're one of those listeners that's fly by night, I just want to hear a song or two from these guys. I think an EP is great because if they like that EP, you've also recorded 10 songs. So you can then release the rest of that later at another time. I'm I'm a big fan of that because I, I really do feel that EPs are great. I, I like listening to a band for like x amount of songs and wanting more. But there's some bands, like for instance, uh, uh, Muse, Absolution. Uh, let's let's just take that record. I remember hearing that record in a in a hotel room, and I remember sitting up. Never have heard the band before, and I heard um, uh, "Time is Running Out" or whatever that that song was, the the lead track of that. I remember sitting up, and Unearth was around me, and I it was, it was on MTV in some weird country, and I remember saying like. This is my favorite band. I just remember getting up and saying, "This is whatever this is." This is my favorite band, and I went out and I bought the record. And I remember listening to the whole record. And I remember being like, "Oh my god, it was it was the, like the greatest masterpiece that I heard." You know, you know, you know, at that time period, it was really touching me, or wherever I was in that place in my head. So at that time, I wanted to hear a full record. And there's still bands like that that I do, but for the most part, I could get away with hearing like. I would love, like, for instance, I'd love a, a, a EP from, like, Meshuggah. I love Meshuggah, but, like, four or five songs from them keeps me wanting more, and then I'll listen to more later. You know what I mean? I can listen to more later. Um, Kill Switch, you know, Killswitch Engage is cool, too, because I don't necessarily need to listen to the full record, but, like, they, they come up with, like, Adam always writes, like, five, six, seven, slam, you know, slamming tracks on a, on a ten-song songs ten song record, and then if, if they were separated... Yeah, maybe I'd have more time to focus on all of them, so and to appreciate them a little bit more. But it's it's that's a tough question because it depends on what type of listener you are.
1: I feel like you know, and I've been saying, I feel like we're going back to that like '50s era of music where it literally is just like seven-inch singles. Like here's your your main single and a B-side maybe, and that's gonna hopefully catch on and be able to you're gonna be able to tour on that for a while. I keep looking at hip hop because they're basically the the route that is kind of determining what the rest of the music scene or the industry really is kind of doing it seems.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I, I watched, uh, you know, I watch TV, I see what's happening in music, at least on the, uh, you know, outside of the metal community and I think it's, it has it is as it's always been, it's kind of like a dog and pony show. Everyone's there for fashion, everyone's there for things other than music, you know, so I, I, I can't really gauge what popular music is now because, we live in the wild. We live in the wild west at this point. I think all the great music is hidden inside of YouTube. You want you like for instance, I'll use this example. Let's just say that your favorite band in the world is like the Beatles. You can grab a Beatles video on YouTube and then you look in. What's got, you know, that, that playlist that's on the right-hand side. And as you dig, as you dig into that right-hand column in YouTube, you start finding bands that are coming out now that are sick. For instance, uh, sometimes, I, sometimes I take a, a, little, a, a little venture into the Internet where I'll go, I'll go to YouTube and I'll look up a band like Kraftwerk, which is a band I've never really listened to. It's electronic music. And I'll say, why do, why do I always see Kraftwerk everywhere? You know, and wh- why do I like them? And then, the next thing you know, I I listen to their tracks, and I'm saying to myself, wow, I get why people like them, they're pretty sick. But then I start digging way deep into YouTube, and then you start finding bands that are associated with Kraftwerk, and I found some crazy shit that's out now, that's like happening on the West Coast, that I'm totally into. There's this like chick, her name's Geneva Jacuzzi. She's like, she wears like face paint and she has a song called Do I Sad or whatever. And it's like this weird, stiff, electronic craft work kind of music. And she's sick. Her, she's awesome. Um, I think she's phenomenal. And then I found a band um, based off of her, you know, going deeper, uh, there's this band called Sloppy Jane where uh, I didn't know anything about this band, but there's a song called Mindy that is out, you know, now on their on their new record, and I think that's sick. And I find all these weird, like, crazy artists based off of the one main artist that I found. But, you know, I, I went to go see this band, uh, Sloppy Jane, and this girl, like, you know, spits blue shit out of her mouth and plays naked in, in basements and stuff. And, like, she has, like, 12 people in her band, and it's punk rock, and it's it's crazy. Like, I, I left that show saying to myself, like, wow, this band is more punk rock than most people that claim to be punk rock. You know, so, and, and they're not punk rock at all, but listen to the song Mindy, and you'll get it. it there's so much angst in that music, and it's so weird. But anyway, I, the point I'm trying to make, let me, I digress. It's just that I think we live in a time where all the great music and all the great writers are just hidden in in YouTube and, in, and on the Internet. And I think it's great because uh, it sucks that they're not huge. They're not as big as the Beatles or whatever it is, but they are also still there and there's still people creating great music, which is uh, something that I thought has been gone. I thought it was a, a skill that is is kind of diminished over time because I hate to ramble on about this, but you know, a band gets big. A band like On Earth gets big. You got twenty band, you know, tw- you know, two million bands sounding like On Kill- uh, Earth. You get Killswitch gets big. You got you know other bands that try to be Killswitch, and you got like before Killswitch puts out their second or third record, there's like fifteen thousand releases from other bands that are trying to do what they're doing. I mean, for Christ's sakes, you got Jump for Cowboy. Remember that band? They. They did. They did uh, deathcore. They were like bringing back deathcore, and before they even put out their second record from their EP, there was like twenty thousand bands. By the time they like put out their next record, it you know it wasn't as special as it was you know have given if they just released a record right away. Um, so we, we, we're we turning over music, and people are – there's kids out there that are really good at copying shit and turning it into their own and using the same kind of tactics. But then there's, like, if you really dig deep, you'll find people doing this, like, awesome shit that's hidden on the Internet. And, it's, and, and for me, personally, being, you know, uh, a 20-year-old veteran in the music business at this point, I feel like I'm, I'm satisfied that there's still people doing some shit that, you know – that may not be popular, but it's awesome.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I was telling uh, somebody the other day, I think Ghostmane is that person for me right now that they're just blending a bunch of weird shit together that I'm like, all right, like you're doing this weird trap house rap shit with like death metal and black metal and hardcore influences and <sighs> it's fucking out there. <laughs> well, it's, it, yeah, it, it, It's it's
0: always awesome to find that one thing. So, so for me, like, even equating it to guitar people, like, people who play guitar, like, real great guitar players, I, I could watch a video of Steve Vai play, and I and you, you sit there and you watch and you're like, oh, my God, this guy's the greatest guitar player in the world. And then you, right in the column, like, in YouTube, you see the column next to it, like, the playlist, 12-year-old kid plays Steve Vai. Next thing you know, the, the, the 12-year-old kid, like... You're not even. He could be nine. He's playing better than Steve Vai and you're like, Oh my god, like <laughs> everyone well, everyone's just you know, there's so much of this shit out there it's it's it can it can it can discourage you. Uh, But when you see that, like, one guy that's doing something fresh and unique, I literally, I'm like a vampire. I swear, I swear to you, like, you talk about how I listen to different types of music. I sit on the Internet and I try to find something that's new blood, something to drink to stay alive. You know, you know, being a vampire, like, I'm thirsting for something that's like, that's going to just make, you know, just be awesome. And. You know, there's not much of that. So when you do find a, a hidden gem, it's it's so it's so relieving. I guess is the word.
1: Well, I guess that's as uh, good as any places uh, to end this conversation. Want to thank you again for a reaching out. Secondly, I guess for even fucking listening to the one I did with Ryan, and uh, for for chatting for about an hour and a half almost uh, about a completely different side of you that I don't think uh, you really get to talk about a whole lot.
0: <laughs> no, I appreciate, it, man. I'm, I'm a fan of your. I'm a fan of uh, you know your podcast and, and talking to you and um, and uh, just hopefully the uh, you know the PRP doesn't um, you know post the, post everything that I said verbatim uh, on the. I don't know if you read that interview that we did last time, but they basically took a whole tra- they made a transcript of everything I said because you know it, what we did was an auditory experience, but they for some reason felt the need to quote me you know, exactly how I talk off the cuff. So, uh, hopefully, as long as people are not doing that, you know, with this interview, I'm sure it will be fine.
1: Well, I mean, very much like that one, and like I said, maybe we'll we'll talk about uh, the sensationalism that kind of ends up happening when... Things get pulled, uh, pull quote culture, I guess is a better way to put it. Uh, maybe at some point we can kind of talk about that and kind of what it has done to the individuals that kind of get quoted and maybe the controversy that, uh, that maybe arises from it because, you know, I've been in touch with some people and, you know, like we'll, we'll touch on the Scott from Zeta one kind of in closing, you know, the whole thing with him and Tim Lombesis and all that kind of stuff and him feeling that Tim doesn't deserve a career anymore you know, spread, uh, on the PRP and I think a couple other sites. Um, and it was one of those things where, you know, my, our co my co basically being friends with Scott, he was like, man, I'm really sorry about that. And he was like, don't, he's like, you know, the funny thing is, is like a lot of people are like, Oh, I didn't know sayO <laughs> still existed. Holy shit. They have records out that I didn't even know were here. Like I'm going to buy all this vinyl and he goes, so it, it worked to our benefit and I don't give a shit. Like, you know, it, it is what it is. But you know, the flip side of that though is, you know, I think there are some some detrimental side effects of sometimes these these pull quotes happening and and people commenting on them and so forth and having real life uh, effects basically on on the people that maybe you know we as a society don't see because it's just today's news and then it, it's gone the next day. Um, and I know you know we've had some things happen on this show. And I've seen, you know, it it have effect. You know, the Frankie from Paul Mary episode talking about Static X got all the way to Static X's tour manager. He made this long-winded post. That ended up on the PRP. And then, you know, it it divides fans and, and causes kind of these different things. Um, and it's something I've kind of been talking, wanting to talk about, but uh, I don't know, so, I mean, maybe, like, down the road, uh, if you're interested in maybe kind of going down that, I mean, you've had a long fucking career and, you know, know a lot of different people, and I'm sure, you know, without naming names and so forth, you, you probably could be a really good uh, asset to talk about such things.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I have a pretty good perspective on it and uh, dealing with some things, you know, in the background in my life and on the internet, uh, you know, it might be worth talking about it later, but, yeah, you know, the, the best deal, the only, the only way I can sum this up is, the best part about living in a free society is that we can, everyone can have their own opinions and everyone can have their own beliefs and everyone can do whatever it is that they, they want. As long as it's not hurting anybody or as long as nobody gets hurt, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty okay with it. So, you know, and unfortunately, you know, it's good that things worked out for Zayo as far as the Tim Lambesis thing goes, but Tim Lambesis is a hot, is a hot button topic. And you know, if I didn't have the relationship that I had with him, you know, for all these years, I may have a different perspective, and I know a lot of people have different perspectives. I don't have, you know, I. it's just one of those things. It's like what he did was wrong. He knows it. And I, and I hate to say it, I, treat, I treated him when he, you know, came to talk to me uh, like, you know, like I would my brother. I was very hard on him and um, I think a lot of people were too so it's a, it's a hot button topic but the thing is the best part about America is that we can anyone can have their own opinion and people can do whatever the hell they want and um, we shouldn't really typecast people uh, for instance for their beliefs so if someone chooses to side with him which I'm not saying I do and some people uh, that choose to uh, you know uh, go against him or, or support him which I believe they're plenty of people that are, are, do, are you know, practicing right now. The best part about our, our world is that we have the choice and um, you know, to follow whatever band we want to follow, listen to whatever music we want to listen to and as long as that's still happening, I'm, I'm a happy person.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you again, Ken for taking the time. And, and where can people find you if they want to follow you or the band?
0: Uh, Ken Susie, uh, anywhere on Instagram, Facebook, whatever it is, I'm, I'm, I'm here. <laughs> I'm alive.
1: And uh yeah, thanks again and uh hopefully we'll catch you in the states sometime and maybe do an in person or something. Anytime, brother. Talk to you soon, alright? So that was my long conversation with Ken Susie, uh talking all things of his production career. Uh Dan, I bet your ears perked up toward the end there when uh he when I asked him who his uh, you know, dream band to produce would be.
2: Yeah, I mean, when when's that going to happen? Uh you know, I sent I sent uh Scott a text right after uh that and he's like oh yeah he's like yeah he's he's, he's an awesome dude you know was like cool so like when's the record happening <laughs> i mean all that band does is
1: basically uh put out put out eps and stitch, so it's like ken could you know bang out two or three songs put out a seven inch
2: call it good yeah absolutely i mean i i need to add to my leaning tower of zeo seven inches so that would work out uh pretty nicely as far as i'm concerned it would be interesting.
1: I think uh, anybody who has listened to that Madball record that he did, I think, you know, that speaks volumes because that is – that was at the time because I think Madball's put out two records since then. Um, yeah. You know, that was a definitely – you know, I remember seeing all the reviews for it back in like 2011 where it was like, you know, Madball's back. And right it's – I don't know, it's interesting, you know, like, and I, I didn't really think much about the contortionist thing, you know, like he was saying about how, you know, he really fought to make them, you know, be heavy like they were on that record, but how that really is the anomaly of all the other records, because they went more prog on everything. And I was like, yeah, you know what, you're right, like, in thinking about it
2: now, yeah. that is exactly. Yeah, Exoplanet is exponentially heavier than anything else they've ever done.
1: Was it interesting for you to hear that story, given the context of doing discography discussion on them?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I kind of just figured contortionist was a heavy band that just went more prog over time. I didn't really understand that they were kind of leaning towards what they were going to become that early on. And then you've got Ken being like, no, you need a strong, heavy debut record, you know, to, to really get people on board.
1: Do you feel like that was, I mean, cause admittedly I'm not the biggest contortionist fan. Um, but do you feel like, like I said
2: man that was perfect. <laughs> I
1: was to say do you feel though, that 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 was a disservice based on where they would go because it almost kind of feels like a bait and switch when you look at the re- like what would come later on?
2: Not at all because I think it I think it was helpful, like hugely helpful. I think he was right. Like you know, a guy like me probably wouldn't check out a proggy band like contortionist based on their later material. And maybe that's just me being a meathead, but like, you know, you sold me with some, with some sweet breakdowns and now I'm willing to accept that, you know, that's not all you are. Right. But I don't know just to, just to have that like baseline, um, aggression, you know, be like, yeah, this was a great band and they were a deathcore band that you could tell, you know, were above average as far as, as far as their musical ability went. So I think, I think Ken's right, though. They needed to still establish that. I think they had a good fan base there. And I think people that are like, oh, wow, you know, that guitar solo they did was really cool. And this band's like really atmospheric. So when the next record comes out, it's not a surprise that they've gone in that direction. So I think that having that heavy album showed them not always just being a a kind of fruity, um, you know, floofy prog band. Right, like a dream. Because like I said, I I probably wouldn't have, yeah, like I wouldn't have really checked them out based on their second release. Um, even though that's a great release, I love it, but I love it in the context of that first album.
1: Right. No it's it's just so it's so funny to see what Ken has done and, and just a lot of the the touches. I mean, you know, you and I obviously being big into metalcore and that was the genre of music that, you know, obviously was one of the ones that we got into as young Young teens, whatever, and so forth, as it was happening. So it's interesting to kind of see Ken kind of put his stamp on other subsets of the genre, but not be. And, you know, it's something we talk about at the end is just, you know, he's not limited to just, oh, I listen to tough guy metal or whatever. It's like, I'm so much more than that, and I listen to so much more than that. And I think it's because of that diversity and that wide range of. of scope that he's able to have from other genres that i think it allows him to to look at things from a production standpoint and just kind of know like this is what should be done this is you know probably what shouldn't be done and as such i think is also why when you see a band like you know swivel which is more kind of like a 90s alt kind of band or you look at usa 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 or you even go back to burn your wishes the project he was doing with adam d of kill switch which was more kind of like a sort of post-hardcore uh, indie kind of band. I mean, it's kind of hard to explain, yeah. but I mean, he's, he's able to do all these other genres so well because I think he's so studied in other genres that, you know, and from a production standpoint, he kind of knows like, ah, that's probably the thing that, they, that makes this sound like this. And I think that that's what he's able to bring uh, to a lot of the records he works on.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and I like. I would love to hear him, uh, hear him do a Zao record to hear what his vision of what he thinks that that band should sound like. Um, I have a feeling he, I feel, I feel he's kind of like a lot of Zao fans. He, he really likes those first few releases. Um, you know where they, you know had like blood and fire on. Um, so I think he would probably be shooting for something similar to that.
1: You know, it's funny because, and and listening back to this conversation, I was thinking about how you know, kind of an underlying theme is with some of the bands he's worked with is kind of the expectation from a fan's perspective, like what would, you know, what do you as a fan of this want to hear? But also like I, as a fan of your band, think it should sound like this. And it kind of makes me wonder at times, like, like he's clearly knocked it out of the park, but sometimes I'm wondering, like I wonder like with the Zayo thing, like writing on the wall would make it seem like slam dunk hundred percent, but maybe like, yeah. do fans really want the band to go back to what they sound like or are they happy with the the realm they're in now i mean i think norma Jean's kind of a good example of what fans think they want and then when they get presented with something that maybe is a little left of center of what they thought they were they wanted they're really excited that it's in that spot now
2: yeah i I mean for me personally uh, i like zeo as they are in 2019 um i don't think that they could be viable with the sound that they had uh, you know 20 years ago like it's it's been that long you know and, and so I think um, I think their older music was somewhat more simplistic I think their newer material is much more complex and I think the fans that are still on board with Zao or know that Zayo is still a band um, I think they're very happy with what they're getting um, and yeah like you said with Norma Jean it's like they're kind of presenting stuff that's a little bit off kilter To what maybe fans may have been introduced to them by, but it's one of those, like, you listen to it, and you're like, oh, I didn't know I wanted that, but yeah, now I'm happy that I have it now. Right.
1: It was announced that Unearth is teaming up and hitting the road with not only Asley dying for a European run, but they're also going out on tour with All That Remains. You know, Phil obviously left it open to do a part three. Now we've had Ken on for a second time, and so I ended up sending him a text, and I was like, yo, here's a weird proposition. Uh, Let's do an in-person you, Phil, and I? Yeah. I I mean, I don't know how that'll go, but I, I think, uh, you know, two guys from the uh, New England area, the Mass area initially, probably, you know, both pretty outspoken and honest and upfront about everything. I, I feel like that that's like, you just ask a question and watch them just both go and, and just sit there and be enjoyed, or be enjoyed, <laughs> be entertained.
2: <laughs> uh, I think it'd be fun to listen to. I'd love to be part of it. I don't know what the, I don't know if that's... uh if that's going to work or not, but, uh, I'd love to be, you know, involved in that in some way, shape or form. I'll FaceTime you in. We'll make it a, yeah, we'll make it a tag team event. <laughs> Brutally speaking versus, versus Earth and all that remains. Yeah. <laughs> we'll lose every time. <laughs> every single time. Yep. But, uh, kind of in
1: wrapping up, if you would like to keep up with Ken, you can basically find him on Instagram at Ken Susie. Uh, you can find him on Facebook. Search him out. Uh, he also has a photography page, uh, Ken the Photography. Go check that out. Does uh, some really cool stuff. Again, like I said, most interesting man. He he is multifaceted on the most multifaceted of levels. Um, <laughs> and if you would like to keep up with Unearth, you can find them simply at Unearth Official on all of the social medias. And if you would like to keep up with Metal Nexus, you can keep up with them at MetalNexus.net, Facebook at Metal Nexus, Instagram at Metal.nexus, and Twitter at Metal underscore Nexus. Dan, where can the people find you?
2: You can find me on Facebook under Daniel Terry. You can find me uh, on my other podcast, Discography Discussion at DiscussMetal.com. And you can send me a tweet at DiscussMetalDan. And if you would like to
1: keep up with all things this podcast, simply follow us at Speak Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Email us at BrutallySpeaking at gmail.com. And that's a great way to get in touch with us if you would like. to come on the show as a sponsor yourself, which leads me to our show sponsor, which is The Bean Bastard. Go to TheBeanBastard.com and get yourself some delicious coffee, a lot of new blends going. They have a cold brew that's out now. Uh, I know they're working on more coffee scrubs and soaps and just anything coffee related that you would be into it is there Uh, we actually just finally we hit our Facebook uh, contest giveaway at 500 or 550 likes Um, so John Parr won the the coffee scrub Uh, I already mailed it out to him we are about 20 likes away and I can give away this coffee candle so uh, head over to our Facebook page brew speak pod uh, and basically just like it like the page and when we hit to 575 I'll randomly give away the coffee candle and at 600 which we're 50 some odd likes away or so or 45 we will give Away this uh, Rob Zombie book, which has been sitting on my desk for about two months, and I haven't opened it, and it's been really hard not to. So please like the Facebook page, invite your friends to like it, and who knows, you might win one of these awesome prizes. And we have some more stuff uh, in the works to, to have uh, given away items and so forth. So hit us up in our email, Brutally Speaking at Gmail, if you would be interested in coming on as a sponsor. And without further ado for the Brutally Speaking podcast, I am John.
2: And I am Dan. We will
1: talk to you all next time.